father was Frankenstein, that your mother was the lightning. The most dreaded creation of man, the monster of Frankenstein, stalks again. Here is drama completely strange, full of weird suspense. With this great cast, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Lionel Atwill, Ralph Bellamy, Bela Lugosi, Evelyn Ankers, Lon Chaney, in the gripping tale of a monster the tomb cannot engulf, chains cannot hold. You're going to give him life? Yes. Not for the purposes that you think he got. I'm giving him another brain. Is that your child, husband? Yes, yes. To the Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight we return to the 1940s Universal Horror Films. Uh, we we continue our apparently years-long slog through the 1940s. I don't think it will take us fully 10 years <laughs> to move our way through the 1940s horror product that Universal cranked out. But uh, it will take us probably longer than it's, it's, it's intelligent to do. Um... I would ask if everyone was enjoying this, but that I mean you'd have to think back to mm, like mm. you know last one was Mad Do- <laughs> Mad Doctor of Market Street, yeah, and then you start yeah. thinking about all the different ones, and it's like, oh, what are we doing? Mm. What are we doing? I know what you think. I mean, we covered, and we're still just only in what the third year, I guess, really. Yeah, 42. 40, 42 So <laughs> <sighs> craziness. So tonight mm. we will be talking about the Ghost of Frankenstein, yeah. which is the first of the Frankenstein films in the 1940s mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways uh, as we'll discuss when we start talking mm-hmm. about it it is a bit of a change in the series in many yep. ways mm-hmm. uh, for some people for the worse for some for the mm-hmm. not as bad <laughs> yeah right you don't usually hear anyone saying it's better than the 30s stuff oh, no, but no. but definitely this film has its detractors and its defenders so. this is true this is true we'll get into all of that mm-hmm. uh, I found it interesting just to, as a side note that by the time he made this film, Cedric Hardwick was already a sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And it's, I, I, it made me wonder just a little bit, how many other knighted people mm-hmm. <laughs> played a Frankenstein <laughs> after they were knighted? Not before they were right. knighted, but and I got to the end, I'm like, I don't know. That is a real good question. That is a real good question. Yeah, it's really, it's, really, <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's, an, odd, it's an odd thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. And he even gets to play. He used to play two Frankenstein's. If you if you take the titular ghost, the ghost. into yes. account, uh-huh. mm-hmm. yes, indeed. <laughs> Hello, Hamlet. Someone's knocking at you. <laughs> yeah, see, you said it. I didn't want to do it. I was not going to go there, but <laughs> we're, all there thinking it. we're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. It's true. The ghost of Hamlet. No. <laughs> well, the ghost of Hamlet's father. Now, it would have been cool if because uh, I can't remember was was because um, I know he died young. Was Colin Clive already gone by this point? 
Oh my gosh, my 42? I'm trying to remember when he died. Because I think it would have been awesome if they could have gotten Colin Clive to play the ghost, you know, but I know he was probably already in, he was already in bad shape by the time he was making the 30s, you know, films. So I, he may have already have left the mortal coil by this point. Oh, he died in 1937. Okay, yeah. so I knew I knew that he had died young, so he was long, he had gone, but, uh, so. Well, he does, uh, I mean, does, well, he does sort of, he does, they do use footage of him, that's true. Yeah, he stock does show footage, yeah. stock footage. Yep. That, that, Pretty pretty well edited stock footage, but um, I just wanted to say uh, glad to be here, glad to be continuing this, mm-hmm. uh, glad to be uh, doing this series of films because, like I said, I just don't think these films get talked about enough. Yeah, yeah and while I'm, you know, it's it's fun to talk about the stuff that are really really obscure from this series, and in a lot of cases, ones that I haven't seen. You know, I'm always happy to see uh, one of the classic monsters come lumbering through. You know, play, you know, come and uh, good to see Frankenstein in our series here. You know, <laughs> make his debut in our series. True, true. I mean, we get to tackle a few of those as we go mm-hmm. along, and yep. uh, but I will say that the ne- at least the next two are pretty obscure yep, films. Absolutely, and those will be uh, those going to be fun to talk about because of their obscurity. Yeah. yeah, in a lot of ways, that's one of the yeah. primary drivers for enjoying talking about those movies, but. I just want to say, is there? A, have you caught up with anything uh, of recent vintage or something that you hadn't hadn't checked out re- at all? Ooh, um, because just last night, I finally caught up with a, a British film from the uh, '60s called the the Projected Man. Yeah, okay. And I've uh, never really, seen that one. Really enjoyed it. It's essentially a really close variation on uh, the original Fly movie. Mm, okay. Kind of basically the same plot with uh, a few uh, a few little additions, including. Uh, Someone actively attempting to steal the invention that the main character is working on, and a uh, a an interesting little uh, love triangle that actually actually is, works pretty well within the context of the film. the The Blu-ray that Screen Factory put out of it is really good. It's got a lot of interviews with people involved in making the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, deleted scenes. The uh, version of the uh, version of the movie on the disc is seventy seven minutes long, which is the American cut. They trim like six or so minutes out of the movie. Okay. And so those you can see those deleted scenes on the disc as well, which is really cool. But even at 77, 77 minutes, the, the film works just fine. A couple of the deleted scenes would make the movie a little better uh, in that it would give uh, a couple of characters a little bit more time on screen to establish themselves. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, The Projected Man, I, I really enjoyed it. I did not know cool. exactly what to expect, uh, but... Uh, Good little movie, not oh, you know, not yeah. not great, but it's, it's okay. pretty damn good. Right, check that one out. So with that, what we'll do is uh, we'll take a quick break, come back, and then we'll dive headlong into uh, the ghost of Frankenstein. Aren't TV movies fun? You see all these familiar faces, but doing really unfamiliar things, and I think that that's really exciting, and I think that's something important to the history of film in general. Join Amanda. There's a lot going on in that scene that is unspoken between two men. So I'm just telling you, I think there was a little Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Dan. I think Therese is a little bipolar. Her voice, it goes from this sort of s- sexy, sensuous voice to, Okay, Ramsey, get out of here. And date. I love, you know, in like the late 70s, early 80s, the crazier a person got, the bigger their hair got. <laughs> As they discuss their favorite made-for-TV movies. Mr. Hazelrick. On the Made for TV Mayhem Show. This man came to see him. He never comes to see him at work. What kind of stories could he have to tell him? (laughs) Tales of his postal delivery. Hey, 
I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize, I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now, I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. Ghost of Frankenstein, 1942, uh, directed by Earl C. Kenton, who is famous for four or five great horror films. Mm -hmm. Um, It's surmised that uh, the reason that Earl Kenton got uh, as many of the universal horror films of the 40s to direct is probably because the uh, the film, the rather famous film he made for Paramount in the 30s, that would be the uh, Island of Lost Mm -hmm. Souls, which is a truly great film. But um, I, I do wonder at, at one point or another, as have others, whether that film's success owes its its brilliance to its set design and mm. its, its cinematography more mm. than it does to the rather straightforward direction of, of Mr. Kenton. But Kenton is responsible, or was responsible, shall we say, for not only Ghost of Frankenstein, but both of the uh, House films in uh, 45 and 40, 44 and 45, that'd be House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula, as well as a couple of my favorite uh, 1940s Abbott and Costello pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, including Pardon My Sarong, which I think is absolutely mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah. He did films. He was one of those yeoman film w- filmmakers, mm-hmm. a, a journeyman, uh, <clears throat> yeah. who, who was responsible for films in just about every genre. 
But uh, it is hard to overlook the fact that his name is attached to, you know, yeah. several of the Universal Classics. Yes. No matter how no matter how often the house films get derided. <laughs> I love and they're classics that. in our hearts. They're definitely I love those monster oh, rallies. Me too, me too. Course, I, I kind of I kind of can't wait to discuss those yeah. but in yeah. this pace. Uh, it's gonna be yeah. It will be uh twenty twenty four. So yes, <laughs> nevertheless. But uh, Ghost of Frankenstein came out in um, March of nineteen forty two. It is the fourth film in the Frankenstein series, and it was the follow-up to the amazing Son of Frankenstein. Yes, yes. And the first thing we should address probably is the, shall we say, ratcheting down of budget. Yeah. Because one of the things about Son of Frankenstein, it's a great film. And one of the great things about it, of which there are many, is the credibly Baroque sets. Those Mm, huge kind of uh, German expressionist styled... Mm sets that the movie features and uh you are not going to see those in this movie Mm -hmm. those are not here Uh, as a matter of fact they do their damnedest to make sure that we blow up the castle (laughs) as fast as we can in this film so that uh anybody who may actually remember what the castle looked like in the previous movie (laughs) won't be expecting to see those weird angles and cool staircases and mm. all the the filigree that was mm. built into the yeah. sets of that uh, interior the interior of that castle in the last film but taking into account the reduced budget the blowing up of the castle is pretty good in this film you know it's that actually is pretty a, well done yes mm. it is as a matter of fact i think the hit the ground running mm. state of mm. this picture the, the fact uh-huh. that this thing kind of just it's like a runaway freight train right at the beginning kind of is is very smart yeah well, it's one of the, the people who do defend the fans of the film. That's one of the things they point to is the pacing of the film. Yeah. Yeah, works in its favor. And, and it really does. And then you're right. The the destruction of the castle is one. It's actually one of my favorite moments mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in, in the in the entire picture. Not that I dislike the rest of the movie. Yeah. It's just that there's such a thrill to seeing that kind of miniature yeah. blown to smithereens. Mm-hmm. It is also really well incorporated in that in the shot because you have it it's a it's a back projection mm-hmm. while other characters are you know other characters are in the foreground actually watching it happen yeah. and so it really lends some reality to the mm-hmm. entire destruction of the castle sequence but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves one of the joys of this movie uh is its cast yeah. um i mentioned sir cedric Hard- hardwick already yeah. yeah now uh he plays the dr frankenstein yeah of, of this picture a uh, a doctor who focuses on diseases of the mind. Diseases of the mind. Which they never. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, let's let's take a side sideboard here. What exactly is his field of medicine? Yeah. Okay. I'm serious. Here. No, I'm, I'm I'm with you. I know. Okay. He functions as a doctor in the field of diseases of the mind. Mm-hmm. But what he's primarily working on the minute we meet him. Yeah. Is brain surgery. Yeah. Okay. Taking a brain out. Fixing it and putting it back in right, successfully. Right. That's not. I mean, unless you're re- yeah. <laughs> really you're like removing yeah. lesions or mm-hmm. some kind of cancerous mm-hmm. nodule or yeah. something from a brain. Uh, that I don't. That's see when you say diseases of the mind, mm-hmm. especially by the 1940s. I'm thinking psychology. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's what. Yeah. I'm thinking psychiatry. I'm mm-hmm. thinking Sigmund Freud, Carl mm-hmm. Jung. That's the kind of thing I'm it conjures into my head. Right. Yeah. 
I'm not thinking, well, let's plop this dude's brain out and take a look at it and see what's wrong with it. <laughs> Which is what seems to be going on. Yeah, here. and you wonder, is this sanctioned by the uh, by the, the medical... And, and by the AMA? Or one of the, any other... Is there a European AMA? As we know, one of the uh, common tropes of horror films is that... Uh, an as- asylum of some, of any kind, mental institution of any sort, is a great front for performing, you know, yeah. your whatever scientific experiments you just want to try. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, and at, the same, at the same time, though, that is a perfect situation that we've got ourselves in by the time we get to Sir Cedric Hardwick's hospital, sanitarium, yeah. whatever they want to call it, to have... Some crazy people floating around the place. Yeah, yeah. To add some color, to add some mm. danger, or something yeah. like that. And to give an excuse for nothing else, for having trap doors that lead into medieval type dungeons. Exactly. You know, now, <laughs> that's the thing. Is it's a perfect excuse for that? But they do not take that excuse. They don't do that. No, that's true. Yeah. Which is very strange to my yeah. to my taste. All we get really is uh, the the revelation that he does have this. You know this. Weird, rather interestingly designed dungeon yeah. down beneath where he can like lock a some bitch up if he gets out of yeah. hand. But it's like, wait, 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 wait. So where are all the people that you've been working on that might need to get locked up? Yeah, because we're never shown like cells or anything no. of people. And did you? No, all we see are the. Li- I'm guessing that all we get to see are the living quarters. I'm, mm. I'm assuming that's yeah. what we're being. Those are those are our only. Right. Those are the only views we get. <laughs> so. That's odd enough. But also we have a returning player, yeah. Ralph Bellamy. Yeah. Playing a different character right. this time around. And I have to say that Ralph Bellamy is, he's not as standout American in this as he was in The Wolfman. Right. But at least he's, he seems to fit within the, his character at least, mm-hmm. and the way he plays the character seem to fit within the uh, the other characters more f- Easily this time around, mm. and I think a, a a little bit of that is that in the Wolfman he's this very American character who is in a position of authority. Yeah, and it seems you know it's like don't mm. think don't think too hard yeah. about that. Yeah, you know, don't think too hard about that. <laughs> right, but it's nice to have Ralph Bellamy around. It's kind of weird to you know. It almost seemed. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it almost yeah. seemed that. Uh, in Wolfman, you almost felt like they really could have taken. I don't know. We didn't even say this in the Wolfman episode, but I've always sort of felt they could have taken the Ralph Bellamy and Patrick Knowles characters and just sort of folded them into one character and really yeah. kind of served the same purpose. You know? Yeah, you're, you're, I think you're right. <laughs> mm. But in this, uh, he's 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 not got a lot to do, but he's got enough to do and he does it well and that's cool. But it's it's so weird seeing him considering that I knew, I'm much more, I, you know, I'm, I, from when I grew up, the first place I saw him and knew the guy's name was in Trading Places, which is decades after oh, okay. this. Okay, okay, so yeah, yeah. from there on, when you start, when I start yeah. digging into the history of film and I start seeing him in, in younger roles, it's like, oh, that's that same guy. Yeah. It's a whole lot like uh, the weirdness of uh, watching, because Scream Factory just released that Universal set with the Paula the Ape Woman mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Or the Ape Girl films. And uh, watching that and... Uh, one of the main characters in that is played by an actor, and it's like if if you look at that actor, you go, man, I think I know him. He's like, yeah, he was on like thirty seasons of Gunsmoke as the doctor, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, but he's yeah. an older guy then. Yeah. <laughs> it's just right. like he, there's something about it that's familiar. Yeah, yeah there's something. About it. Uh, also, a returning a returning actor to our uh, to our little series of films here is Lionel Atwell. Yeah. Who gets to uh, just like last time we talked about a movie from Universal gets to be a mad scientist. Yes, yes, a little bit more dialed 
back mad scientist, yeah. but still mad, you know. Not, he's not, a not lot quite more sympathetic yeah. here. Yeah, he is actually. And and one of the things I'll say right off is I think that I think this film is well written dialogue wise. Uh, I love the dialogue. The exposition yeah. is not too clunky in this film. They managed to rela- to to reveal a lot about the major characters in dialogue that yeah that, that actually flows fairly well. I agree. I agree. There's a it's it's a surprise to me. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's a reason why this is one of the uh, later Frankenstein films that I return to again. Mm-hmm. This one I love a lot because the dialogue fits the performances. In other words, mm-hmm. it, fe- it feels as... Mm-hmm. It, all of the dialogue feels natural coming mm-hmm. out of these people. It never, mm-hmm. it never sounds like it sometimes did in, like, mm-hmm. say... Son, son and bride. Mm-hmm. There are times when the dialogue feels like we're there. It's a little arch. Yeah, yeah. And that's okay. I yeah. mean, that's that's because the, that's some the of those, tone. Because some of those characters are arch as well. Right. You know, that, that's yeah. the that's the ty- that's the yeah. the type of character they're playing. Mm-hmm. But things are a lot more dialed down here. Yeah. And the dialogue can be a you know can be a little uh, mm-hmm. a little heady, but it's mm-hmm. not too heady. And the yeah. actors are good enough, as we've already talked about Hardwick and Bellamy and now Atwill. Mm-hmm. These are actors who can pull this stuff off very yeah. effectively. And I think that by this time, maybe everybody kind of had a sense of how to do this without. Actors are actors are always worried about how they come off on screen, and I think that maybe everybody kind of had a handle on how to, how to do this because by this time there's been ten years mm. of seeing people take it too far mm. or not take it far enough, and trying to find that gauge, find that area where it works, mm-hmm. and but it's yeah. it's oh it's effective and it pops. Yeah, I think everybody does a good job here, and I think Atwill once again gets to he he rings every. Mm-hmm bit mm-hmm. of emotion mm-hmm. and juice out mm-hmm. of every line of dialogue he mm-hmm. has and he's so there's there are so many scenes in this movie where even when he's not talking mm-hmm. watching his his care watching watching his face mm-hmm. and his reactions to the people around him he's he's on he's do, he's giving 100 yeah. percent all of the time he is he absolutely is and, it, and, it, and his character is sympathetic this time around which is a little a little weird to, I think it might be a little weird to take for people at the time, which is like, well, I don't hate this guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because he's, he, you know, we'll get it, we'll get into his character to go. Yeah, on. yeah. Returning character actor, some fellow from, I think he was from Hungary. Oh, yeah, I believe so. He was, yeah. I think, yeah, I think his name was <laughs> Bella Lugosi. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Bella Lugosi getting to play, uh, Possibly his best role for Universal. Yeah, and knocking I, it out of the park again, man. I mean, he's just yeah. He's, he he definitely had the he definitely had his character nailed by this. You know, I mean, he he totally was dialed in. Returning character Igor from Son of Frankenstein. Uh, Bella Lugosi gets to play him one more time here, and uh, he does once again a fantastic job. The joys of watching Bella Lugosi play Igor, for me, outstrip watching him play Dracula. And I know that for some people that may sound heretical, but I'm telling you, I think he's fantastic as Igor. Yeah. He that is the character I think he did his best work for Universal as. Mm. He's so good as Igor. In some ways I feel like his portrayal of Dracula and Abbott Costello make Frankenstein is better than his portrayal even in the original Dracula. I mean as far as the Dracula portrayals. Now I've become to Really, the, his portrayal of Dracula has just grown and grown over the years in my eyes. It's just with all the better versions and better being able to see the nuances of his performance, I think it's an incredibly powerful and physically controlled kind of performance. But yeah. I do think that Igor, I think that is his masterpiece as far as acting goes. I think that's the best thing he ever did. I think he's fantastic. It's like there are a lot of performances that Lugosi gave over the years that 
I think are phenomenal. I think yeah, what yeah. I think I think what he does in White Zombie mm-hmm. is incredible. What he does in Murders in the Room Morgue mm-hmm. is there are moments in Murders in the Room Morgue where I don't think he was ever better on screen. Mm-hmm. But for Universal, I think that Igor, the character he got to play twice, and I, I think he he was he was never better. Such a great character. So um, the great Bella Lugosi gets to mm-hmm. gets to play Igor one more time in mm-hmm. this film. Now let's talk about uh, one of my favorite actors from this period of Universal's filmmaking, uh, who in this movie, quite honestly, does not get shit to do. Evelyn Ankers. Yeah. A beautiful, talented, mm-hmm. great actress who in this movie is essentially eye candy slash a damsel in distress. Mm-hmm. Slash model for strange dresses and things. <laughs> yes, indeed. The bizarre either flame dress or hands grasping Damn. her breasts yeah. dress. I don't know which is the best description of it. It's, yeah. It is, without a doubt, one of the first moments I can think of in this series of films where I look at it and go, that is a fashion faux pas. Mm. That is a mistake. Somebody yeah. needs to be somebody needs to be called on the carpet and have it explained to them that they messed up. That dress is just wrong. But yeah, she seems she her primary uh, her primary reason to exist in this picture is to be threatened. Yeah. Or to be threatened to be threatened. You know. What if I did something to your daughter? You know. Yeah. Because what the character she plays is uh, Dr. Frankenstein's mm-hmm. daughter, and all well and good, but that is her sole function within the picture. Yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, and she has one scene that I really appreciate in this film because she manages to bring something to it just by being a good actress, even though there's nothing really for her to do. It's but it's it's it, the, at the when the point comes where she knows that the monster is there and what's going on. Yeah. But Ralph Bellamy's character does not, you know, the guy that she's seen and he's there confronting her father and she's having to keep it secret. And the focus is on him yeah, and the, yeah, the, the two, two men. actors. But yeah. if you watch her through that whole scene, she does a great nonverbal performance of what's going on in her head and what she's having to keep secret. And that's all down to her as an actress because yeah. it's not there in the script, but it's something and you actually appreciate. That really is know. the only scene. You're yeah, right. That yeah. is the only scene where she gets to act mm. yeah. other than yeah. just be, you know, mm-hmm. a fashion plate. Yeah. And that's that's it. And that's sad. Yeah. Because the 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 stuff she got to chew on in the Wolfman. Yeah. Is great, and there's some stuff that she gets to do in later films. Yeah, for some of the inter- like the Inner Sanctum films. And yeah, stuff, some stuff she, she gets, gets to, to really do some great stuff in mm-hmm. those movies. She's in at least two of those. Yeah, and uh, it's just a shame that. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Any chance to see Evelyn Anchors on oh, yeah. screen, even if she only gets one good scene out of the entire movie, mm-hmm. it's it's a good thing. Yeah, but geez, man, <laughs> <laughs> she, she got she did uh, you know she put in her time on this one. That's she all did. I can say. She did. And there's one more actor to talk about in, yes. in detail. Actually, two, but one only is a small thing. Mm. Let's talk about Lon Chaney. Yes. Or Lon Chaney Jr. or mm-hmm. Crichton Chaney, to mm. be more accurate. Here, he takes over a very famous role. Yes. He takes over the role of the Frankenstein monster. This was a big deal, mm-hmm. and it still is a big deal. Yeah. Because, of course, Boris Karloff initiated the role, mm-hmm. played it in three different films. Three, let's be clear, superior films to this, and uh, was not going to co- did not come back to this. There are varying reasons for that. Uh, one, he was at the time this movie was in production, 
quite the Broadway star. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. he was the toast of Broadway in mm-hmm. Arsenic and Old Lace, mm-hmm. uh, a play in which he, uh, a, a character was almost, almost kind of written for him perfectly, mm-hmm. and that he played for over a year and a half. And you were not going to get him away from that. Right. And I don't know that at that point they really wanted to, and I don't know that Karloff would have been able, I don't know that they would have been able to swing enough money and wave it in his face to get him to play the role again. Yeah. I think that he even, I mean, he had, he had famously felt that um, the, 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 the creature was not as interesting even in the fantastic son of Frankenstein. So I don't think that getting him back was really in the cards. So they had yeah. to find another actor to play the role. Right. And they turned to their uh, brand new horror star and decided, hey, your father was the mm-hmm. man of a thousand faces. Now you're going to be. Yeah. You were already, you're already a werewolf. Now you're going to be the Frankenstein monster. Yeah, because they, like you said, Karloff was not, uh, Karloff was not willing to do it. They were losing Lugosi to these other cheapy films he was doing for other other companies. You know, they Basil Rathbone was 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 pretty much dialed now all into the Sherlock Holmes thing. He was strictly doing yeah. those mostly for Universal. So yeah, I think this was sort of the film where they really. I mean, they you know, Cheney had been in Man Made Monster and he'd been in a, a Wolfman. Wolfman, but this was probably the film by this point. This is probably the film where they really realized this is the guy we're going to ride with. This is the guy that's going to be our yeah. monster star. And it was. And- it wasn't long before he was also playing the mummy mm-hmm. as well. So Dracula, no, but yeah, yeah. Dr- oh, that's right, Dracula. Well, Dracula the next year, mm-hmm. the mummy. Yeah, so you're you're leaning on Lon Chaney Jr. to be your monster star from here on out. Hello, are you a giant? I've been a fan of this film for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. I, of course, a long time ago picked up the uh, the um, original shooting script of it. This is a part of a long series that were done of the uh, Universal Horror Films. Well, actually, uh, not just the Universal Horror Films, but Volume 4 was the Universal Film Script series Ghost of Frankenstein. And it's fascinating to go through it because it has a lot of information about it. And it does have a copy of the shooting script. And, of course, that's absolutely fascinating because there's going to yeah. be a couple of points oh, when yeah. we're going through this that uh, I'm going to I'm gonna point out a few things that probably were filmed but got snipped to shorten the film down because mm-hmm. all these movies, especially in the mm-hmm. 40s, are like 70 minutes at most. If, okay. if one is 75 minutes, there's not even yeah. one that's 75 minutes. I think this may be the shortest of the entire Universal Frankenstein yeah. series, and it followed really the longest one, you know, which is Son of Frankenstein. So they really, really chopped it. This is, yeah, what is it, an hour and seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. Which is super short. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some some really there's some really interest, interesting stuff that you can learn from the original shooting script. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it's not so interesting. Some of it you look at it and you go, that's bizarre, but as we go through the movie, I'll point out a couple of things here and there that I think are kind of fascinating. 
to start, I think it's fascinating to know how many titles this thing had before they settled on The Ghost of Frankenstein. Mm. My favorite of the titles that they were working with when they were originally submitting the script to the Production Code Association was There's Always Tomorrow. <laughs> which is absolutely one of the most generic and doofus yeah, there's titles. <laughs> It's, it's, That's very strange. It's very strange. <laughs> Regardless, Ghost of Frankenstein was the title that things were settled that it was settled on. Therefore, setting the template for all of us monster fans from here on. Yeah. After you exhaust the sun, yes. you don't go to daughter. You no, go to ghost, ghost. <laughs> because we don't know why. We don't know why. We don't know why they didn't default to doing mm. daughter. That would have been a very interesting script to yeah. see somebody write. But we go to ghost, and then after that, we start mixing it up. Yeah. Yeah. But the ghost is set four years after the events of the last film, which means they were attempting to kind of actually give you that same amount of space between the two movies' production, yeah. which right. is nice. Yeah. But uh, the uh, the joys of this is, uh, as we said earlier, that it starts off with a bang. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> uh, we have the uh, townspeople of Frankenstein blame the monster's quote-unquote curse for everything from uh, Bad Harvest to the town's mm. lackluster tourist trade. Yeah. Uh, as the film begins, they are uh, screaming at the mayor, really. <laughs> <laughs> and two of the like town burgers or councilmen, or whatever you call them, are, are reprised by two actors from Son of Frankenstein who yeah. played the exact same roles. I mean, obviously they got killed in Son of Frankenstein, so they're not supposed to be the same guys. It's a different town. but, but Well, no, it's the same it's town, the same but, town. They're, but they, it's funny that they brought back two of the same... Uh, Actors to play basically the roles they did, and it's a uh, was it Lionel Bell, Belmore and Michael Mark, I think, are the two actors that uh, were in Son of Frankenstein, also as councilman. Well, did you notice that here it's the mayor? And it's oh, the yes, same right. actor. Yeah, right. He's not the Burgermeister. Right. In the last film, it was Burgermeister. The, the first three films, it was yeah. very straightforward and very obvious that we're kind of in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of whatever time period, and we'll mm. discuss the time period of this movie, <laughs> oh, which is all fun. Yeah, but. I think that it's because it's 1942, yeah. and reminding people that, that the story supposedly mm, takes place yeah. in Germany was yeah. maybe deemed not a good idea. So that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but I think you're right. He's the mayor instead of the burgermeister, which is interesting. Uh, but they're uh, the the townspeople have you know they've got a burr in their butt, and I'm telling yeah. you they're not happy. <laughs> <laughs> they. <laughs> he gives them the right to destroy Frankenstein's castle. That'll shut them the hell up because they're just yeah. raising all kinds of hell. I love uh, a couple of other things about this. Is at one point when they're you know they're talking about how Igor you know is still out there, and oh, I, I love the way that they refer to him as Frankenstein's familiar. Yes, what a weird way to put it. You know, not his friend, not his companion, not his but his his cohort, but his familiar. Like it's supernatural, like it's uh-huh. witchcraft or something. What a strange way to to phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, th- here's here's one of the neat things that, that I learned from the original shooting script is that, uh, by the way, in the shooting script, he's still referred to as the Burgermeister, which is... Uh, there you go. That's even more yeah. good reason. Yeah, yeah right. Right. So uh, they, there's a few lines of dialogue back and forth between some of the some of the townspeople and, and the quote-unquote mayor or mm. Burgermeister. Mm. And, and you can see why trimming some of it didn't hurt anything at all because it's just, it's a little bit more, de- de- it's a little bit more descriptive, a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the the burgomaster saying, "This is nonsense, folk. You talk as if this were the dark ages." And of course, that's in mm-hmm. the film. Uh, you all know as well as I do that the monster died in the sulfur pit under Frankenstein's tower. And Igor, as you said, his familiar was riddled with bullets from the gun of Baron Frankenstein himself. Now, here's the thing: during this entire during this entire sequence, something that they eliminated from the finished film, and I'm assuming they shot it this way, but they they do cut it out, is that. 
watching this whole proceeding between the mayor and the townspeople mm-hmm. is Igor. Oh. He's watching through a skylight uh, at the top in the, in the uh, roof of the building. Interesting. Wow. Uh, council chamber close at, close at skylight as the cunning face of Igor peers down into the council chamber listening. Oh, damn. There is an angry murmur rising from the, the crowd beneath. So when he, uh, when the mayor like gives in mm-hmm. and says, okay, uh, well, the, 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 you have those two counselors where they, yeah. they're like, okay, the, the people are right, Burgermeister. Once our lands were fertile and the merchants prosperous, now we're a village of the dead. And the other goes, I agree, and the name of our village should be changed to remove the last memory of the Frankensteins. The villagers start chanting, dynamite the castle. Like, I don't know, maniacs. Well, in my notes, I actually literally wrote, I wrote, these people are basically rednecks who just love fireworks. (laughs) (laughs) And and man, don't we know what those scumbags are like. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. You're not far wrong, dude. You are not far wrong. Oh, and go ahead. Oh, well, it's it's the... uh, the council chamber where we're back at the skylight, the face of Igor in fear. He quickly draws back out of sight. The crowd below are still yelling out, dynamite the castle. Wow. Do you notice, uh, too, in this, we get a Dwight Fry cameo. It's so yes. bizarre. Where That's the other actor I wanted to bring yes. up. Who This is, yeah, we get one scene it's, with him yeah. playing. He, get, he gets some good dialogue, yeah. but he's got this just one scene where Dwight Fry, he worked on the film for a day. It was like he it was almost became like he was the lucky charm for the these these films. Like, hey, we got to get the Dwight Fry cameo in there. You know, this is only two years before he died, actually. Yeah, but, by this time, actually, yeah. this is, I think this is the only acting job that he got around this time. Yeah. Uh, and it may have been something with, Something where like the producer George Wagner mm. maybe threw him a bone. Maybe because yeah. by this time I think he was working in a, a, a warehouse, not, yeah. a, not a warehouse. I think he was working in a factory helping to build planes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wow. But uh, yeah, we get to see Dwight Fry this one last time, which is nice. Mm. And uh, it's such a shame. He's so yeah. he's such he's such a good actor. Oh, it was. And, it was, yeah. yeah, you're right. He didn't much like Colin Clive, a man who mm. died far too soon, whose career did not go the way it should have. Yeah. His career did not equal the level of his talent. Right. But the uh, script has Igor realizing that these lunatics are going to do this, mm-hmm. and he runs off to the castle and beat, mm-hmm. to, to beat them there. And yeah. then the, fil- you know, the film, as we see it, begins. Because the first time we see Igor in the finished film, the way it's edited and forevermore, mm-hmm. is uh, they get to the castle, and there's Igor up on top, and he starts tossing rocks tossing out. Ball, yeah. The villagers attempt to detonate the structure are tempor- temporarily thwarted by Igor, who s- scarcely seems to be affected by the bullets that Wolf von Frankenstein fired into him in the previous film. Now, you, earlier you mentioned, uh, you know, Wolf, who was played by Basil Rathbone. Uh, there was an attempt, there was a thought mm-hmm. to yeah. get Basil Rathbone to come back and to sure uh, to play Wolf in, in an original, uh, in an yeah. earlier version of the script. The idea mm-hmm. was it was a really interesting idea. I gotta yeah. say. Uh, Originally, Universal, this is from the Universal Horrors book, by the way. Uh, originally, Universal intended to have Basil Rathbone's Wolf von Frankenstein character resume his adventures with the monster and Igor after being driven into exile after the events in Son of Frankenstein. This earlier version of the script by Eric Taylor proved to be a bizarre, downbeat affair in which Igor makes a pact with Wolf's hunchbacked assistant hmm. and attempts to organize the village cripples to take over the town with the monster as their leader. Wow. This unpleasant and ludicrous diversion, possibly influenced by Todd Browning's Freaks, was closer in spirit to pre-code excesses of the 1930s <laughs> yeah, than it was to the comparatively bland tastes of the war years and didn't quite strike the tone that Universal wanted. <laughs> but I'm telling you now, mm-hmm. I want to see that freaking movie. I know, movie. me too. And I like that they that 
they pair up the two versions of the Dr. Frankenstein assistant because all Dr. Frankenstein's assistants after this are named Igor because of Bela Gossi's character, yeah. but they're hunchbacks because of Dwight Fry's character and yeah. Fritz, you know. So, yeah, it's like those two characters are, are together in this, this scenario. It's it, it's bizarre. Uh, the the uh, fact that that... Okay, it's... It, it, if the writing in this book didn't make it plain, the reason that that story was not going to fly was <laughs> that's a little dark. Yeah, just a bit. We're kind of going for kitty Saturday matinees here, guys. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't think that. Was, they probably made the right choice, but not for me. Yeah, oh, I know. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> well, uh, well, Igor is uh, still alive and still uh, unhappy with those around him. Mm. <laughs> yeah. As the first blast of dynamite rocked the castle, Igor flees to the catacombs below. Now, we're, we're skipping over something I want to get to really quick, which is one of my favorite parts of the film, which is as these villagers come up, uh, Igor tries to drive them off by shoving parts of yeah. the, crenel- the crenelated top of the, of, the, of the tower of the castle off onto them, and yeah. I just love those shots. Oh, me too. It's, it's great. It's great. Where it's yeah. just like hell. He's coming pretty close. I'm assuming that <laughs> yeah. the the people that were dodging those things had to be stuntmen. Yeah, because I'm gonna say they fall with some authority. You know, I mean, yes. I realize they're not true stone blocks, but they fall pretty damn hard. I mean, they uh-huh. they look they they convey real weight and yeah, real uh-huh. weight. Yeah. <laughs> there's there, there's a sense of actual danger if that, if that had hit somebody. Yeah. Well, uh, they start blowing the place up. Igor flees to the catacombs underneath. And then we get to see that fantastic effect shot of the mm. castle model, uh, obviously, yeah, right, being yeah. blown to smithereens. Yeah, and uh, it's 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 pretty great. It, it, is. it is one of my favorite scenes in the film. Mm. I I do love uh, a good castle destruction. Yeah, we don't get enough of them in no, film I know. anymore, I know. in my opinion. And I'm sorry, but see, as good as CGI can be. There's something about something. Yeah. There's something about a good model getting blown oh, to yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you love the idea of the painstaking attention to detail yeah. that they these guys build this thing just to blow the hell out of it. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's funny. Uh, one of the one of the things that I've been listening to lately, there's a, a great podcast done by the, uh, the Jerry Anderson people, the the people who did you know uh, Thunderbirds, oh, yeah, Thunder, and right, Space right, 1999, right. Uh-huh. and yeah. all this stuff. And they were talking to a special effects guy who works for uh, for Weta down in uh, down in uh, New Zealand. Yeah. And they were asking him, and it's one of the standard questions is like, you know, you build these really intricate, because he, he builds real things that they then use as models and that mm. they did, you know, some mm. of them are things that mm. do get destroyed. And they were talking about a specific thing that he worked on for the Jerry Anderson people a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That was a like a house that it, the whole purpose of it was to get blown to shit, mm. as so many things do in various Jerry Anderson TV shows. Right. The question is always, you know, do you do you feel bad about mm. this thing you spent so much time working on mm. then getting destroyed? And he's like, no, because one of the things that people who don't do this don't understand is yeah. that you know what's going to happen to it. So you're building yeah. it so that it breaks properly and so that it blows sure. up yeah. accurately mm-hmm. so that it looks good on screen. You're not building something like it was going to be permanent. Right. You're building something so that it blows up so and part looks of your, right. So part of your satisfaction is seeing it crumble the way you wanted it to. That's right. part of your technique, your craft, too, is, oh, yeah, exactly how I needed it to yeah. do. Yeah. To yeah. Do. yeah, he said because, you know, the you know you, you often have to prepare one or two of those things mm-hmm. in case something goes wrong and... and which is which is a pain in the butt, but you you know you build mm-hmm. them so that they they they're built to be blown up, yeah. and so they're built not in the way in which you would build like your little girl's dollhouse. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not what you're doing. <laughs> and so uh, I think it's amazing to watch these things like that because um, there's there's a real joy, and it's and, and I know you know this from just watching uh, 
the, the millions of Toho films over oh, the years, yeah. which is there's something beautiful oh, yeah. in watching miniatures, well-detailed yeah. miniatures being well-destroyed. Yeah, and there's a, there's a one great film where, where Godzilla, like, steps off and stumbles and falls into a building, and it was a total accident. The actor actually oh, did really? his suit, and they just left it in because, well, you've, you've, you've crumbled our building, and we're not building it back, but it's actually kind of a realistic thing oh, that he cool. does. He kind of steps off a corner and he accidentally falls into the building but they just left it in the film because hey that you know it's like the old uh, Edward Tor Johnson thing no leave it in it's real it's real he would bump into the the wall you know he would shake the he would <laughs> shake the frame of the entire building <laughs> yeah so but, but yeah but they just left it in because hey we, we're not building this thing back because you've, you've, you've already crumbled it so <laughs> but you're right they had to build those things too to crumble in just a particular yeah, way and yeah. the actor and the actor in the suit I mean had to had to know where to step yeah, what yeah. to hit what to hit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they're all the, there's a lot of work that goes into that oh, yeah. and it's like uh, yeah that when you're young that would be a question of oh all that work and then do you feel bad when it gets destroyed it's like no I built it to be destroyed that way <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the reason it was built the way it was built um, well uh, so Igor gets down to the catacombs before the castle goes up into mm. uh, a, mm. a big a big ball of explosion and yes I do love mispronouncing explosion <laughs> uh, and when he uh, emerges from the the mess downstairs he finds uh, crumbling out yeah. of the dried up sulfa pit is the monster. Uh, the hand emerges first and mm-hmm. then he cracks apart. He cracks all the dried sulfur away from uh, his face. And my God, he looks at it and he, and he doesn't realize that it's a different, a different creature. <laughs> no. He doesn't realize that it's not Boris Karloff. <laughs> I think I think Igor may need mm. glasses. Mm. I'm not yeah. positive, Maybe. but I think he may have Maybe. some eyesight problems. <laughs> anyway, he unearths the monster. Yeah, who's now of course played by Lon Chaney Jr. from his uh, strange tomb, and uh, the pair waddle off into the woods uh, as the last uh, standing walls of the castle crumble behind them. And that's yeah. another great shot. It is, and I love that. I love the way the story sets up the fact that the villagers' own rashness and eagerness to destroy the castle. It leads to the freeing of the monster. I think that's yep. a great... So it's not just an arbitrary big special effects beginning to the film. It really has real weight, real... It sets the whole story in motion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we, without them doing what they did, Igor would have just be hang, would just be hanging around yeah. with with, yeah. with no one to push to do mm. horrible things. Right, yeah. And so, yeah, once again, uh, idiot villagers fuck shit up. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yes, they do. <sighs> They're not smart. Nope. Well, uh, that night there's a fierce thunderstorm that breaks out, and the monster is struck by a huge bolt of lightning. But instead of killing him, the jolt only seems to renew his tremendous strength. Now, I love this scene for several reasons. Uh-huh. One, uh-huh. once the lightning starts to strike, the monster is clearly seeking out the lightning. Uh-huh. It's as if it senses uh-huh. that it will help it. It needs that lightning. It, it's trying to get into a position where the lightning will actually uh-huh. strike it. And I, and I keep calling it it, but that's just the way it feels... Right. feels right now and he's lumbering around and he finally does get struck by lightning which is horrifying at first to Igor until he sees that it seems seems to strengthen the monster and then he's thrilled mm. but this has also absolutely mm. and I know I know you already know this <laughs> yeah. one of my most quoted lines oh yes from all of universal horror films which is <laughs> which is that was your father. But your mother was a lightning. lightning. Yeah, I know. It's just oh, it's, it's it just rolls off the tongue. So well, it just it just feels good to say. 
Oh, I, I, I love it so. It's, uh, if any other accent delivered that line, mm. I, it would just be a line of dialogue. Yeah. But when Lugosi bellows it out, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a joy. that electricity is the only means to restore the monster's power, so he and his friend head for the village of Viseria to enlist the aid of Dr. Ludwig Frankenstein, the second son Mm -hmm. of Dr. Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Now, it's Ludwig who's played by Sir Cedric Hardwick. And I do want to say that, in a way, I'm really happy (laughs) that in the next film with a Frankenstein, there's not another son that suddenly pops up. Yeah. That there's a there's a female descendant. And I was just saying now because I was wanting to throw it in some uh, part in this episode. And a nice bit of trivia is that this is our last Doctor Frankenstein in the entire Universal series. Now we have yeah. other bad doctors, other scientists, other, but this is our last true Doctor Frankenstein, and it's our and we get our first Frankenstein's daughter of the cinema, which is Evelyn Anchors. You know, it's, and now true. there is a Frankenstein's daughter in in Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, right? I believe is the next, true, but true. but yeah, I thought that's kind of cool that you know we, that Evelyn Anchors is actually our first first Frankenstein's daughter of the cinema, you know, and I never I didn't occur to me till rewatching this film here, and she gets to do nothing, and she gets to do nothing. The Frankenstein's daughters that come after her, you know, they they definitely get more to do. So yeah, oh yeah, especially Lady Frankenstein. Yes, yeah, oh yeah, boy, does she she lives she it gets, up. She gets to do. Everything. That's the role I want to see Evelyn Anchors in. Ooh, ooh, ooh. ooh, there's a thought. Yeah. There's a real thought. Anyway, (laughs) yes, indeed. So, the second son of the outlaw scientist Ludwig is a prominent brain surgeon and has managed to keep his family history a secret from his daughter, Elsa, Mm -hmm. that's the beloved Evelyn Anchors, as well as from the community in which his sanatorium is situated. When Igor threatens to tell all, Frankenstein grudgingly agrees to take custody of the monster, who has been apprehended by the local constabulary for killing a villager. And we should back up there to that for just a second. Uh, When Ludwig Frankenstein arrives at the courthouse, the monster goes berserk and escapes with Igor at his side. Now, when Igor and the monster lumber their way into Viseria, Mm -hmm. 
Uh, yeah, stealth is not their thing. They just sort <laughs> no. of stroll down the street. Well, here's We're the thing. Here. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the middle of the day. <laughs> yeah, they they yeah. wander into this town. And this this is my point. This is my point when we're discussing this movie, where I want to bring up the question of when the fuck is this movie taking place? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So we established <clears throat> cars. Yeah. In Son of Frankenstein. Yes. Trains, cars, all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that gives us the vague impression of the early 20th century. In other words, vaguely around mm-hmm. the time these movies are being made is yeah. when these things are set, but. I don't remember. I can't remember a car in this film. I don't believe. I can't either. I right. can't either. Okay. Yeah. And when they when when Igor and the monster walk into this area, they're walking. Okay. Yeah. They they made yeah. this trip on foot, as far as we can tell. Right. And they walk in, and there's a a, a little gaggle of geese that's being mm-hmm. herded by a, a little girl. Yeah. And I swear to her, her costume and the whole setting of this town. This could be, and the clothing that everybody seems to be wearing is vaguely late 1800s. Yes, except for Evelyn Anchors and her crazy dresses. And I was saying, yes, we're, again, it's that, it's like we always talk about that weird universal, that, that sh- alternate universe where these. Where, <laughs> where there's a period of time from roughly 1885 <clears throat> to 1935 or 45 yes, yes. where everything is just the same year. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it, it's, it's bizarre. <laughs> it is. But. Since we're willing to yeah. we're willing to roll with that, I just I going back through this movie, I was just I was going. They're not trying to establish modernity within this because no. the movie starts with your classic, you know, eighteen hundreds, you know, nineteenth century lunatic villagers blowing up a fucking castle. Yeah, right, right. That doesn't scream nineteen forty two to anybody. <laughs> no, right. No. So you get you get to this point, and it's like slowly as the movie goes on, those two. The two different kinds of time period that this movie could be taking place in <laughs> kind of start knocking against each other. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> because we get introduced to Ludwig. Yeah. And he's a freaking brain surgeon. Yeah. And you know, he's got a very modern lab. Mm-hmm. One might even say aspects of it are somewhat futuristic. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> <laughs> you have the rest of the house, mm-hmm. which has, for God's sake, a medieval dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. It. No, no. It's fun. These are things. The fun things to play with. They're just. But these, but, these. but here's the thing. I, I I've never. It took me years of watching and rewatching this film, for something I don't. And I'll never remember what it was. Mm-hmm. Catching my attention and making me realize. Wait a minute. When the hell is this film taking place? <laughs> yeah. What year is this? Yeah. And it's just that vague mm-hmm. middle European mm-hmm. because it's no longer a Burgermeister. It's right, a mayor. Right. Right. Vaguely early 20th century, mm-hmm. maybe. <laughs> Universal yeah. whenever. Yeah. And to a large degree, I'm good with that. Oh, because, yeah. I mean, th- think about the way House of Frankenstein a couple of years later starts. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's traveling around and in wagons, wagons and with hor- you know, horse-drawn carriages. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. oh, my God. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Is there? A, I think there might be a car in that, but I don't remember. And it's just one of those things where it's like it's it's like that old joke from SCTV mm. about kids growing up thinking that uh, they can grow up to be a cowboy mm. and fight Nazis yeah. <laughs> yeah. while being a cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of this right. can work together. All of these right. things can be taking place at the same time and have the exact equal weight. <laughs> so 
it's not it's not a it's not a minus in my opinion. It's no, not a detriment. No. It's it doesn't take away. It doesn't subtract. It adds yeah. in a weird way. It adds to my enjoyment of this thing. Yeah. And it continues to add to my enjoyment of these of these films as they go along, mm. because they are really establishing mm. in much the same way that really started heavily with Bride of Frankenstein. They're establishing their own separate mm. reality. Yeah, this is no it's Universal Land. Yeah, it yeah. is the world that these movies mm. are crafting. Mm. And yes, names change. Details change. Mm -hmm. The castle's architecture changes. Characters morph and Mm -hmm. alter. Mm -hmm. Uh, Characters are played by different actors. Actors pop up in different roles. It doesn't matter. All of this is one great big shared universe Mm -hmm. of pretend. And it's a joy. It's universal. That's where this stuff takes place. It's not on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. On, it's not even. It's not on Earth Prime for sure. It's definitely yeah. not on Earth Two even. It's like it's further down the count. You know, it's it's Earth. You mm. are right? universal. <laughs> UN. It's Earth. UN. Yeah. There we go. It's its own thing, and mm. that is one of the things that keeps drawing me back to this. And this is the film where that feeling mm. starts to take hold for me. Mm. Not in the Wolfman. Yeah, and not in mm. Son of Frankenstein. Those films still feel like they're. Well, the 30s films always have a different feeling. Mm. But those films still feel like they're hanging on to a semblance where you can yeah. pretend that mm. this is taking place on mm. the earth that we all share. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by this movie, that feeling begins to alter and change, and it stays altered and changed for the rest of the 40s. Not just Frankenstein meets the Wolfman and the house films, no, but, but also the, the mummy movies. Yeah. Uh, all of these movies, like mm-hmm. they start to feel as if we are. All these monster movies mm-hmm. feel like they are in a different reality, and I love it. It's yeah, one of the too. things that I love so much about this. It's one of the reasons why I love going back to these movies as much as I do, mm-hmm. because they have whether they. I, there's no way they could have predicted this, but they have. They, all of them seem to have a different. Mm-hmm flavor of that same yeah. feeling and it's just yeah because you don't ever fun. picture you don't not unlike now you know with with movies and shared universes and series you know you don't ever get a feeling back then that there were like board meetings at universal where they like said <laughs> okay now here's the universe we're going to create right we'll right. make sure we have cars but we also want to have peasant you know yeah. but nobody ever did anything like that this all just happened organically probably based on what the props and things they had at hand in their studio in their departments you know or they, what or what individual you know? directors thought would work within a scene yeah. or yeah yeah, yeah. So, happy accident? Yeah. Possibly. Mm. Regardless of how it came about, whether it was something that was thought about, mm. whether the director of this film mm. went, no, we're not going to have any cars, mm. or we're only, you know, we're not going to show this, that, or the other. Whenever we, you know, the, the costume is going to be like, the costume is going to be in this mode, mm. whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's, obviously, there was some degree of thought put into trying to make some of them. Sequels, you know, continuing yeah. Yeah. for a little while, you know, make them so some kind of, sort of, of hang, kind of hang on to some, yeah, yeah. hang on to uh, some of the same look, mm-hmm. uh, the way they're here, they're hanging on to some of the same actors, yeah. But yeah, this is where we start to get this universal land established that's mm-hmm. in the 40s. That I that's one of the reasons why, even the weaker, like, even though, even though, like, the next mummy movie, which mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. weakest one they ever made mm-hmm. is still one that I can kind of really get into because it still has some of that feeling, that right. universal land feeling. Yeah. So.
Okay, so when Igor and the monster enter Viseria, there, there's that first, there's that girl that uh, Igor asks directions for. Mm-hmm. He's trying to find Ludwig's uh, sanitarium, and she does not seem immediately terrified of the monster the way everybody was terrified of the monster back in the yeah. 31 film, yeah. which is a big change. Mm. And then the monster lumbers off while mm. while Igor's getting Google directions from the little girl yeah. and runs into a group of little children, only some of whom mm. seem terrified of him and run away. Yeah. But there's a little girl with mm. a little ball on a little ball on a string. Mm who just looks up at him like, eh, whatever. And, of course, this is a callback to the little girl in the original film that the mm-hmm. monster accidentally kills. Yeah. But in this movie, he does not accidentally kill this little girl. He picks her up mm-hmm. and takes her where she requests, which is up onto the roof of this building mm-hmm. where her ball has gotten caught onto a chimney. This is a... A charming and yet suspenseful sequence because you honestly, if you've never seen this film before, you have no idea how this thing's going to turn out. Right, yeah. Because the callback to the, the, the callback that this is to is to that original film and that little girl died. Yeah. You know, she yeah. he, she was accidentally drowned. Mm-hmm. So what you have here... Well, he kills a little girl off screen in Bride of Frankenstein, too. Yep. yep. So what you have here is an inversion of that initial, that initial mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. and... A kind of softening of the monster. This is the first yeah. time where we get a sense of children not being afraid of the monster. I mean, more so than the little girl who was not frightened of him in the first film. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of establishment of the idea of the lar- the, the giant monster. She asks him. She asks him, "Are you a giant?" Mm-hmm. And it's this guileless, wonderful little question from a little mm. girl who just doesn't have a frame of reference for this thing to be a threat. Yeah. And I think it's fascinating because it's an inversion of the original film. Mm-hmm. He has, he has, you know, he, he does not harm her. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, the only, the only violence that comes about from this is when some idiot attempts to take yeah, the girl right. from him. Yeah. He yeah. throws him off the building. <laughs> so, the, you know, the, the idea here is, you know, he's not doing anything wrong. Leave him alone or you'll die. Yeah. So... They're able to wrestle this thing into custody mm-hmm. and get the little girl away from him. And then once uh, Ludwig Frankenstein walks into the courthouse, uh, the monster goes berserk and escapes with Igor at his side. That night, Igor and the monster make their way back to Ludwig's estate. The monster crashes through the door, kills Frankenstein's uh, surgical assistant, Dr. Kettering, and attempts to carry off his daughter, Elsa. Mm-hmm. This is where things get... Nasty because yeah. uh, Igor makes it very clear to Ludwig who he is, what that is, mm-hmm. and what he wants him to do, which is he mm-hmm. wants him to fix his friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you need to juice him back up. Mm-hmm. He's your, you know, he's your father's creation. And of course, Ludwig is, you know, mm-hmm. he's he's not going for it. He tells him no. Ludwig uh, Ludwig does manage to subdue Igor and the monster with an uh, with a, a gas that he pumps into the ventilator ducts. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about this whole thing. Yes, yes. <laughs> I need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I yes. If if I I'll was trade able... my acid bath for that. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> Your sulfur pit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if this is the only thing in this place. The only thing in this entire building mm-hmm. that screams to me of someone who has 
people staying in this asylum (laughs) or sanitarium or sanatorium or whatever the hell we're going to call this, Mm. who he might have to gas (laughs) to the point where he's got the place rigged (laughs) to gas and ungas a specific area. Or the whole freaking house, as we find later. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You start looking at it, you're like, oh, holy hell. So this is when these all these unseen patients you have riot and all you just can't just gases everybody. (laughs) He closes the door, gases them, sits down, has a cigarette, you know, waits for everybody to shut the hell up. (laughs) How do you take care of the Joker raving like a madman? He gases us. (laughs) They're done with it. Riddler giving you the lip. Gases us. Yes. So Ludwig manages to subdue them. Uh, he determines that the only way to destroy the monster is by dissection. That is his initial idea. We're going to do away with this mm-hmm. damn thing. I'm going to cut it up and this the hell with this thing. And he seeks the aid of his assistant, Doctor Bomar, yeah. uh, which is uh, which is the the character played by Lionel Atwell. Now, when we were introduced to Ludwig, there was this scene where we get to see him doing uh, well in wrapping up uh, uh, brain surgery, mm-hmm. and through some um, through some Decent dialogue. We're given the information that Dr. Bomar used to be the teacher, yeah. and yeah. Ludwig Frankenstein <clears throat> used to be the student. And those things have reversed because of an unfortunate accident that Dr. Bomar had, where he killed a patient. This is uh, something that still is obviously a a, a touchy wound, a, t- bit, a, yeah. a, a, t- a, a bad nerve for Lionel. And Lionel's one character. that Ludwig. Occasionally taps. And you wonder, you have to, and you don't right. know how much yeah. is just him being kind of oblivious in a way because he's so kind of Wrapped serious up in his own so, mind, yeah. And how much is really, you know, kind of a reminder. But it, it, we know how it affects Dr. Bomer, though. We know it yep. affects Lionel Atwell, uh, but, uh, but, but one of my favorite lines in the movie comes from Dr. Bomer in this uh, sequence here and, and when they're talking about his past and... Uh, and I think every mad scientist should have this on a T-shirt, you know, where he says that uh, because okay. Frankenstein says, you know, it just only went bad for you just because of one mistake. And he says, mistake? No, just a slight miscalculation. And I think that should be on every mad scientist. <laughs> mistake? No, just a slight miscalculation. You're right. <laughs> you're right. That is, uh, that is, yes, you're correct. I like that a lot. Yes. It's, it's, it's not me that's mad. Yeah, it's right. It's the world. No. That's that's one step away from that. It really is. It is. Uh, so, but I, this is one of the reasons why I think that Atwell's character has he he's got a, such a fair amount of he's got he's got he's got a fair amount of nuance. This is nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because Ludwig wants him to help him wants Bomer to help him slice and dice this thing and mm-hmm. end its life, and he balks. He says. Uh, I'm not going to do that. That's I'm sorry, but this thing's alive, and that would be murder. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he says, I'm sorry, but I can't help you with this. Mm-hmm. And he leaves. Well, Ludwig himself has second thoughts. And while he's preparing his instruments, the quote-unquote ghost of his father, Henry Frankenstein, uh, also played by mm-hmm. Sir Cedric Hardwick, yep. implores his son to vindicate his great experiment by replacing the monster's demented brain with a sound one. Realizing he has a perfect specimen in the dead body of Dr. Kettering, Frankenstein becomes obsessed with restoring the monster to his full power. Now, just a brief aside about this uh, this appearance of the, the, the ghost 
of his father, who he plays himself. Yeah, it would it would have been nice if they could have been able to get Colin yeah, Clive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but of course, but he's he's yeah, dead, gone. dead five years at yeah. this point, which is a real which which is a real shame, and it is kind of weird to have. <laughs> Cedric, I mean, I, I almost think it would have been better if there was no apparition that he well, sees, and it's just a voice that he hears. Yeah, because I, I personally don't think for a second that he's actually seeing a real ghost. No, I, I don't mean, either. Yeah, he's 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 one of the reasons Igor doesn't have to push too hard to to get him. I think to do this. I mean, no. that and, and it was the same way with with the with his brother, with son of Frankenstein. He can use he can use blackmail and threats to a point, but the resistance really doesn't last that long because nope. both these guys, you know, start thinking about the old family name and you know the prestige. And because here's a here's a clue to Ludwig Frankenstein's character: Why didn't he just change his Why didn't he just change his change name? His name? Yeah. If he was so If he was so ashamed of his family legacy and wanted to distance himself from it, why did he keep that name? So I really think that yeah. He's just imagining. I mean, this ghost is basically telling him, giving him permission to do what he right. really wants to do. And see, it is that by by having us by showing us this apparition and having him mm. quote unquote hear this voice, mm. tell him mm. essentially kind of what he wants mm. to hear. Yeah, we're seeing a through line that this movie does not tease out because it doesn't have time for it. Right. Sadly, which is that. Yeah. Ludwig might be a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He might have a little bit of that twitchy craziness that his brother Wolf had. Yeah, who yeah, he had on the surface. And by the way, I like the way that Cedric Hardwick does play the character so different. You could picture these yeah. two guys as brothers. I think it's very believable because brothers are so often opposites. And after we've seen yeah. both the father of Colin Clive and, and Basil Rathbone as the son being, you know, very given to histrionics, let's just say, you know, yeah. and the, I think it's really nice that on the surface, anyway, that Ludwig is is so dialed down. You know, he's, so, he's, yeah. he's very calm. As a matter of yeah. fact, I've read a lot of uh, critiques of, of Hardwick's performance, saying that it almost seems as if, as if he's embarrassed and to be, to be mm. in the film, or mm. he's he's so reserved, he's almost invisible. And I'm like, eh, I don't, don't think don't that's really what he's that. aiming yeah. for. Yeah. That's not what he's really aiming for. He's aiming to be mm-hmm. a very stand-up mm-hmm. kind of... Uh, Officious is the wrong word, yeah. but he he is he is uh, prim and proper is also the wrong phrase. But the, the the affect he is attempting to present to the world, what he's attempting to present to the world is of a very calm, knowledgeable doctor, yeah. someone who cannot be flustered, mm-hmm. someone who is mm-hmm. eminently trustable, yes. someone who cannot be put into a position that he cannot think his mm-hmm. way out of. Mm-hmm. And so he's very calm. He does not raise his voice, and I think that that is a that's a distinct choice to play him very much mm-hmm. against yeah. the way Rathbone played the brother. Yeah, and uh, I understand it's very easy to it's very easy to read that as you know an actor who's not you know performing. Right. He's yeah. not. Yeah. <clears throat> acting. He's yeah. not. Pro- he's not. Pushing it out there. He's not... What he's not doing is he's not playing to the cheap seats. Yeah. He's dialing it down. He's giving a screen performance Mm. of a character who is much more buttoned down than his brother. Mm. And I I appreciate that because otherwise, where do we go? We've got... Yeah. At that point, we've got one too many mad scientists on screen, right? Right, right, yeah. Because by the end of the movie, Lionel Atwill is crazy. Mm-hmm. He's he's mm-hmm. dipped over and he's regretting it by the time he does what he does, but he's mm-hmm. still the mad scientist. Mm-hmm. And the thing, the one thing we get here is 
that that trace of madness, like I say, that the movie does not tease out, which yeah. is that he's hearing voices. Yes, that's yeah, exactly. He's definitely hearing mm-hmm. voices, mm-hmm. and I, that's why I say I wish we weren't shown the apparition because then if it's just him hearing more voices, you just hear that voices. You're right, right, yeah. right, and that is essentially the movie just showing you, oh, mm-hmm. nobody's witnessing this. Mm-hmm. But he's crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's he maybe is not a dangerous crazy person, mm-hmm. but he's crazy. <laughs> Which I will have to say is also one reason that perhaps Ludwig's field of endeavor is diseases of the mind. Yeah. We're always very uh-huh. curious Cur- yeah. about our own mental state yeah. when we have questions about. Well, we're always curious about others' yeah, uh, right. mental states when we're very curious about our own mental states. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of mental states, I thought it was. Uh, funny that uh, not referring to either you or me. Not referring but, to not referring to Tennessee. Yeah, well, yeah, that too. But um, one of the things that always amuses me about this film that is is uh, did you pick up on the fact that throughout the film they're constantly referring to the monster in terms of being a lunatic, of being mad. You know, it's like, <laughs> are you guys not seeing what I'm seeing? You know, it's like you really, you don't realize that this is a, obviously a, something stitched together. But this is this is obviously something beyond. This isn't just a madman here. This is a, a freaking monster. You know, but I love that that they're constantly like, look at him. He's obviously insane. You know, it's like, no, he's more than that. He's huge and he's he's a gr- huge he's monstrous huge and he's thing. Pale and he's, uh, he's, he's who, yeah. by the way, can bash through <laughs> yeah. you know well you know really strong doors without yeah. really trying very hard. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Dr. Bowman, I need your aid. This monster must be destroyed. Destroyed? But how? It's not subject to the ordinary laws of life. There is a way. It was made limb by limb, organ by organ. It must be unmade in the same way. Dissection? Bit by bit, piece by piece just as my father created it. But this thing lives. It would be murder. How can you call the removal of a thing that is not human murder? I regret, Doctor, I... I cannot be part of your plan. And I must do it alone. While it lives, no one is safe. The idea he has is, of course, that what he's going to have to do is he's going to he's going to switch out the brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to put a new sound brain, and he's going to put in Kettering's brain. And this sounds like a really good idea, <laughs> as long as you don't realize that uh, that brain is now just mush because he's <laughs> yeah. been dead for a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's dead. It's worthless. You're not going to get anything. But then again, that's what this whole movie is. This whole series of movies is built on the idea yeah. that we can just reactivate a brain. So yeah, I'm, well. It's, yeah, it's it's uh, uh yeah it's it's been pointed out before, and it might have been in um, uh, that book, uh, the uh, quaint, uh, curious and quaint volume of Forgotten Lore, you know, that Frank Delostrito wrote. Uh, oh yeah, a really good book. Uh, I think um, I think it was he that mentioned that, pointed out the fact that you could you could look at these whole series of Frankenstein films as really the story of Frankenstein's brain. I mean, everything, the whole thing is a focus almost of the. In one degree or yeah. the other, the journey the brain is taking, whose brain it is, where it's going next, you know. And, and uh, <laughs> there's a the movie book, Frankenstein's Brain. Frankenstein's Brain, yes. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. Well, at any rate, uh, Igor decides that he wants his own brain to be put into the monster's head. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he when he presents this idea, 
to uh, Ludwig, Ludwig's like, are you insane? Yeah. You're an ass. Yeah. You're an evil master. Right, right. I'm yeah. not putting your brain into this lumbering, super strong monstrosity that, as far as we can tell, can't be killed. No, that is not what's happening. Well, Igor doesn't take that well, as yeah. you might expect from someone that looks like Igor. Right. And he enlists Dr. Bomar's aid to carry out the scheme. He talks to him. This is that mm. scene where he talks no, I'd love it. Yeah. Bomar mm. into it. That scene between Lugosi and Atwell mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah. Yeah. That's just that's it's it's Ludwig should have been looking out for this because it, the only reason he doesn't he doesn't realize two things. One, Igor's smarter and slyer yes. than he realizes. Mm-hmm. And he also doesn't realize just how resentful mm-hmm. Atwell's character is. Yeah. And it's yeah. it bites him really hard. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is this is that the scene between Lugosi and Atwell is just it's beautiful because it is a great scene. So that both of them are really doing a good job of getting across this change that is made where Bomar decides to go along with it. I do like where uh I think it's a uh, interesting line where where uh, Ludwig, right before he performs the operation, not realizing what he's really about to do, you know, not realizing you know whose brain he's really going to be using. But he, when he says he thinks it's Kettering's, and yeah. he and he sort of wonders aloud, you know, well, wonder what Kettering's reaction will be to you know uh, will it be happy to find himself alive or horrified, you know, something that's yeah. paraphrasing here or horrified to find him find himself in the he says in a walking junk heap or something. And I'm sitting there thinking I can answer for you right now what he would feel. <laughs> you know, he would nobody in the world will be happy to wake up alive and you know in this the body thing. of a monster. And that's always kind of the the uh, conceit of these films of these doctors is, is somehow always thinking that a the good brain is going to be the solution to everything. <laughs> Everybody's going to be happy if this. Huge monstrosity has a good brain in it, you know. And then suddenly it won't be a monster, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Of course not. It never would be. Well, I oh, you bring up something that I, I'll jump ahead to real quick, which is the uh, that after they've done the surgery, mm-hmm. and, of course, it's Igor's brain that unknowingly mm-hmm. Frankenstein is placed within the monster's body. And before he knows that, he says something to Bomar, who has assisted him in this mm-hmm. surgery, that really kind of lets Bomar realize that he may have been misjudging Frankenstein's attitude toward him heavily, which is he tells him that he thinks that the success of this surgery might be something that would put to rest his bad reputation and allow him to regain his standing, his previous standing within within the uh, medical uh, field. Right, yeah. In other words, yeah, this, isn't, yeah. this isn't just my yeah. success. Yeah. This is your success, too. And this success that you right. are a part of hmm. can be something that can yeah. redeem you. Yeah. And it's you. It's so beautiful to watch Lionel Atwell's face in that scene as he realizes, oh, oh <laughs> shit, he really. I've been so blinded by my resentment, mm. by my anger, by my frustration, by by you know this this that I've blown this chance that this guy was putting in front of me, and he honestly is saying to me. Mm. This is hopefully something that will allow you to put that crap behind you. Yeah, and it also kind of gives a little credence to the idea that maybe Ludwig really hasn't been needling him all this time about what's happened yeah. in his past, and maybe he really was saying these things out of sympathy. Maybe he really what did feel he really was sympathetic for him. toward him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
and, and it's 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 another one of those little moments in this movie mm. that I think is just absolutely is brilliant. But that it goes lot, back to how good the dialogue, like we talked yeah. about, the really a lot of good dialogue in this film. I know, and it's amazing to me how many uh, I, I I looked over a lot of uh, reviews of this film, mm-hmm. uh, modern reviews, not the the contemporary ones, right. And just the number of times I'll see people talk about how the the, the, the dialogue is clunky or just mm. serviceable or this side of the other, mm. and I'm going, that is mm. not what I'm. That's not no. what I'm seeing. No, here, me man. either. That's yeah. not that's not what I'm seeing here at all. No. And uh, I'm not saying that every line of dialogue is genius. No. I'm saying that most of the dialogue. I'm talking well in excess mm. of seventy to eighty percent of the dialogue in this movie is very effective. Mm. Uh, well, nevertheless, that's that's. That's my opinion. You may have another. <laughs> I just might think you're wrong. <laughs> so, uh, of course, once the brain is within the monster's body, mm-hmm. and it is Igor's, it is Igor's brain that's in the monster now. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I, I, I do have to say because I oh, forget. I'm sorry. Other, do we do get a? Did you did it occur to you? Did it pick? Did you pick up on the fact that we get a point of view of Lionel Atwell with the chlorophyll chloroform? Oh yes, yes. Like we just seen well, in our last uh, Mad Doctor of Blood Island. Mad that. Doctor of Blood Island. Mad <laughs> Doctor of Market Street. <laughs> we still would have been a better title, but yeah, which Mad is another Doctor title. That was a Blood Island, Island series. But but yeah, but I've seen when I saw that, I thought, oh my gosh, he's getting typecast. You know, he's the, he's the menacing chloroform guy. <laughs> I, I do think it might have been that Kent may have borrowed that image. I think he may have. I mean, he's the same actor. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Oh, but no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Of course, uh, the monster has his own ideas because, of course, the monster is now Igor. Mm-hmm. He uh, steals into the village and, oh, oh, this is before the surgery. I forgot. Because the monster, before the, the surgery is done, he what what the monster decides mm-hmm. he wants is he wants the brain of the little girl put in his head. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, he takes he goes and grabs the little girl out of her out of her bed and drags her to the laboratory with the uh, idea of trying to get Ludwig to put her brain in his skull. Uh, Ludwig intervenes, takes the child away, and prepares the monster for surgery. Then we have the surgery. Now, here's the here's the weird thing. That little girl, uh, she just hangs out in that house with the with Elsa. <laughs> yeah. Until until we get to the villagers showing up again. It's yeah. like the movie is bookended by villagers going batshit. So yeah. that's <laughs> I, there's this thing rewatching this film as many times as I have is like. Where does the little girl go to? Yeah. <laughs> what happens here? And it's like, you realize, oh, okay, yeah. then she just stashed that kid someplace. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so meanwhile, while the surgery is going on, the townspeople have become frustrated with the, uh, the the local gendarme's inability to find the monster and the missing, of course, now missing little girl. But they are certain that Frankenstein is responsible, and they storm his estate. Elsa's fiancé, uh, town prosecutor uh, Eric Ernst, that's the Ralph Bellamy character, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Alerts Ludwig of the brewing crisis, and Frankenstein admits that he has been harboring the monster and has, in effect, rehabilitated him by giving him the brain of the kindly Dr. Kettering. To prove his point, he unveils the new monster, only to discover (laughs) the uh, treachery. Speaking in Igor's crackling voice, the monster revels in his power, but soon finds himself uh, in a bit of a problem. Now, what do you think about uh, the rather... I don't know what to think about the choice of having Lugosi's voice coming out of Lon Chaney's mouth. I I will say it probably would bother me more if it weren't for the fact that Chaney, I think, does a great job of channeling Igor's expression. He does. Chaney gets a lot of criticism for his performance in this, this film, you know, overall. Yeah. But I think that he does a great job of mouthing that dialogue and making it, conveying Igor's expression. 
through his, you know. So, but but he but, sneers the yeah. way Igor often. Yeah. He, he's get he gets that sly little yeah. grin. Yeah. So and, he yeah. he does very good with that now. You know, forgetting all the total bizarre science behind why this would happen, you know, which we, you know, isn't, which is pointless to get into, as we said, in the yeah. in universal land. He didn't transfer his larynx. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I've never been too bothered by it. Uh, you know, what would, did you think it would be more effective if he spoke with his own voice or uh, if they had just conveyed I'm Igor but just spoke through his natural voice? Yes. I think, it, I it, think it, that, I think the more that I think about it, the more I wish they'd gone in that direction, but uh-huh. it still doesn't bother me. Mm. Uh, I think it would be more effective if mm. if it were just Lon Chaney, and he was a he was uh, affecting something like mm-hmm. his voice mm-hmm. and yeah. mimicking this facial the facial expressions mm-hmm. that Lugosi was pulling for mm-hmm. Igor. Mm-hmm. But I'm not unhappy with it. But yeah. I think it, I think I would have preferred it the other way. I can see it. But you know, it's it's, it's it, that, that's the choice they made, and mm-hmm. I'm perfectly fine with it because. Mm-hmm. I do like Cheney's performance mm. once Igor's brain is in that mm. body. Mm. I enjoy that performance <clears throat> yeah. a lot. Uh, but, of course, so he starts uh, uh, making his desires known, and mm. all hell starts to break loose, and then finds that he is going blind. The monster is going mm. blind because something that, uh, sadly, that Lionel Atwell's character did not take into account mm. is the different blood types between the mm. two people between the monster and mm-hmm. between Kettering, which was going to work, and Igor, which was not going to work. But in Dr. Bomer's defense, it was not a mistake. It was just a slight, slight miscalculation. miscalculation. <laughs> Another slight miscalculation. Yes, yes. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I had thought about it. You're right. <laughs> okay, well, as the villagers descend upon the estate to uh, locate the, the hideous monster and to mm-hmm. find out where the little girl is... The enraged monster flings Bomar into an electrical panel, which sends a lethal charge through his body, killing him. So, exit Lionel Atwell. Mm-hmm. Groping sightlessly around the lab, the monster topples a rack of chemicals to the floor, touching off an inferno. Ludwig and the monster perish in the oh, flames. Oh, those volatile chemicals. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. As Elsa and Eric flee to safety. Uh, also, the little girl lives, so mm-hmm. don't, you know, don't yeah, freak right. out the little girl didn't die. Uh, although it would, have been, it would have been, you know, hand in hand with the earlier films. That's, right. that's yeah, what they managed is, to yeah. do. This is the first film in the Universal Monsters series to step into B-movie territory. Yeah. Let's be clear about oh, sure, that. Yeah. For some people, that is a turnoff. But I think that for monster fans, mm. it's not at all. We mm. may prefer mm-hmm. the higher qualities, larger budgets, and just general energy difference. Mm-hmm. In those earlier films, but these B movies that the series turned into are what turned us all into monster kids in a big way. These are the movies yep. that are—they're almost geared to turn you into one. Yeah, you can yeah. love those those first films, all those things produced in the '30s, even the the really dark ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the B movies, the ones that were being produced to be consumed in the way that we now consume movies. Yeah. That are the ones that I think, for a large part, are responsible for us being the monster-loving maniacs mm. that we are as we yeah. grow up. Yeah. So, yes, there's a switch between the 30s and the 40s. The budgets mm-hmm. change. Uh-huh. The attitude changes. Yeah. The outlook, the tone. Mm-hmm. A lot of things change. And if you press me, I mm. will admit, of course, every day of the week, yeah, of course, the movies in the 30s were better. 
But more and more as time goes on and as I get older, it is these B-movies mm. produced in the 40s that I return to more frequently. Yeah, and Universal still looks upon them as the 30s are the class and the 40s films are the B-movies, you know, because yeah, look yeah. at how little care they put in terms of extras every time the 16th, 17th, 18th time they release them on some new format. Yep. Once again, the early films get the love, you know, the 30s films get the love, all the extras, all the audio commentaries, and only a handful, only one or two or three of the 40s and on films get anything kind of serious treatment. Yeah. I think this was pretty well in uh, the, the, the Tom Weaver book, The Universal Monsters. It says, The Ghost of Frankenstein offers monster movie making at its classy best, which is the reason why it has been embraced by fans in a way that Son of Frankenstein, a better film by any standard, has not. As such, The Ghost of Frankenstein is a tricky film to critique. Any criticism directed against it is deflected by the fact that it is so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is what those B-movies of the 40s are. Yeah. They're fun. Mm-hmm. Son of Frankenstein is better than any movie Universal churned out in the 1940s. Absolutely. absolutely. Better than any of yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And still, mm-hmm. as many times as I've watched Son of Frankenstein, and I'll tell you right now, Son of Frankenstein is my favorite of their Frankenstein movies. No, oh, me too. Me too, absolutely. I have watched, in the past 20 years, Ghost of Frankenstein more than I've rewatched Son mm-hmm. of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because of the length, because <laughs> give me an hour and seven minutes and yeah. I'm done with the Ghost of Frankenstein. <laughs> right. Woohoo, I'm out the door, right? <laughs> it's because of the change in tone. It's because mm-hmm. of how these movies changed in the way mm-hmm. they were making. It's fun. Mm-hmm. They weren't really aiming for fun in the 30s. No, they, they were, they were making, making horror movies. Yes, yeah, right, right. By the 40s, mm-hmm. they were making monster movies. Yes, absolutely. And that, to my mind, uh-huh. is the difference. Yeah. Horror movies mm-hmm. and monster movies can be the same thing, but they aren't necessarily. No. The 40s movies are monster movies. Mm-hmm. The 30s movies are horror movies. Mm-hmm. And I love them both. Mm-hmm. But there's that warm embrace of stepping into mm-hmm. a monster movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The joy of mm-hmm. it. That feeling I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Bride of Frankenstein is often held up as possibly the greatest horror film ever made. Mm-hmm. People want to sit down and argue that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take pro or con and I'll argue both mm-hmm. sides of it mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I can see it and I can argue against it at the same time. Mm-hmm. I love the movie. I think it's great. Me too. It you, has some flaws, though, we won't go into it, now, it, but it, it does. It does it have flaws. Yeah. So does Son of Frankenstein. Sure. So does Frankenstein. Yeah. They all yeah. have flaws. Yeah. But you won't be able to get me to argue the con side against... Ghost of Frankenstein. Hmm. I won't do it mm-hmm. because I have too much fun watching the fucking movie. Mm-hmm. It changes the way I think about the movie. I mm-hmm. can I can I can agree mm-hmm. that there are mm-hmm. flaws and there are problems yeah. and there yeah. are things that don't quite work mm-hmm. and there are things that maybe should have been slightly different. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to argue against the movie because mm-hmm. I think it's too much fun. Also, I think because it's been fed too much shit over the years, too many yeah. people have talked crap about well, it. Well, just compartmentalizing it in the 40s, comparing it to the other ones, I think the reason that it's often... Here's what I'll say about Ghost of Frankenstein. I, won't, I wouldn't put it up... It's not one of my very favorites of the Universal Frankenstein series. Right. But I do believe it's the most underrated. And I think that one of the reasons is because it was... Not only the film that, you know, had the hardest act to follow, following the three classics and being the first film that, you know, was, like you said, a B picture, but every Frankenstein film that followed it was a monster mash, which are so dear to the heart 
Yeah. Of Hearts of Monster Kids. That's why I think even among Monster Kids, Ghost of Frankenstein is sometimes kind of the least favorite. I mean, they still love it, have affection for a lot of it, but it seems to, for a lot of them, not be considered among their favorites, you know, when it comes to even the 40s films. And I think it's just because, you know, you start getting the multiple monsters after that. True. And it's the multiple monster films that, Mm. honestly, they become even more fun at that point. Yeah. Because... More yeah. monsters equal more fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's simple wait, equation. Yeah, I get the Frankenstein monster. Uh-huh. I'm a mad scientist. I <laughs> yeah. get Dracula. I yeah. get, and they're all in the same movie. Yeah, and I'm out in less than an hour, fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, Woo-hoo, I can know? run out in the yard and play these monsters after I've seen yeah, the movie. Exactly. It's still daylight. There's just some daylight left. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that brings up a good question. When, uh, how, you, you can when did you first see Ghost of Frankenstein? Well, because I know you didn't see it on television when you were a kid. No, and that is true. That is true, which may be part of the reason why it's not one of my very favorites, even though I do like it a lot. Uh, it was, yeah, I think um, I think I didn't see it until, I t- you know, as I've said often on these shows, you know, there's kind of a dividing line to me. There's the first sort of 10 years yeah. or so, 10 or 12 years where, you know, I just had the basic network channels. And then in the 70s here in Nashville, we got the UHF stations, you know, Channel 17 uh, came in and with a whole slew, which I began to see so many horror movies that I'd seen, read about, knew about, but hadn't been able to see, you know, that kind of filled in the rest of the Hammer films, filled in the rest of the right. Universal films, filled in the rest of the Godzilla films. So Ghost of Frankenstein fell into that latter category. When I was growing up, when I was little, I mean, in the afternoon movie or whatever, Creature Feature, Ghost of Frankenstein, at least as far as I ever saw, never really made the rounds there in the way that Frankenstein meets the Wolfman did in House of Frankenstein. So, uh, so yeah, Ghost of Frankenstein, I was probably more into my, definitely into my early teens, maybe even, yeah, probably I was probably into my mid-teens, you know, 15, 16 or so, when I finally got to see Ghost of Frankenstein. I was excited because I was aware of it from reading Fate of a Famous Monster for years and knowing there was another you know, Universal Frankenstein that I hadn't seen. Um, it was that and House of Dracula were the two that I did not see of the, you know, Universal Frankensteins didn't see when I was really little were those the two films that I had to wait until the UHF station we got to finally get to see those. So, yeah, it was, yeah, I remember, I still remember the first time when he started speaking in Igor's voice, I was totally, <laughs> I was excited <laughs> to see Igor because I'd loved Son of Frankenstein for so long and to finally, you know, to see him playing Igor in another yeah. movie. But uh, that totally blew me away at the end. I had no idea that was coming, uh, you know, that that, uh, that he was going to start speaking and that, that, <laughs> that whole thing that they were going to put Igor's brain uh, in the monster was amazing. Uh, I did not see Ghost of Frankenstein uh, until VHS. Mm-hmm. Um sometime in the late 80s or early 90s. I can't remember exactly. And uh, I saw them in a rush, mm-hmm. and I saw them in, a, in some kind of randomized order. Mm-hmm. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. It was, right, you know, right. how, you know, how can mm-hmm. I get my hands on them? Where, mm-hmm. where can I find them to rent? Mm-hmm. And then eventually, where can I find them to buy? I can still remember buying House of Frankenstein for $15 on VHS mm-hmm. and being thrilled oh, to oh, buy it for $15 yes, on VHS. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, it's mm-hmm. like... I'm not. I'm not sure I'd spring 15 bucks for a Blu-ray unless there was a bunch of extras. Well, you, so. I still remember when uh, the Suncoast stores, you know, that sold yeah. the video. Do you remember when the uh, the the line of Universal VHSs that had those beautiful painted covers yeah. that they were selling for 30 bucks, and we were thrilled. We were like, "Oh my gosh, you can get a VHS for only 29.95." You know, with these. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there. <laughs> Is there any wonder why we rented the thing? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, it was. Uh, Far down the, these were these were far down the list, but they were they were also almost like hidden discoveries. Yeah, for yeah, me. yeah. Because 
you knew the legendary Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. And so when you started to to finally see the the other films mm-hmm. and see them in a kind of randomized way, which was mm-hmm. really the only way to have mm-hmm. done it at the time, it was like finding these wonderful hidden doors in a in a place you were just going to be able to continue to explore forever. Yeah. And it was uh, it was great. Every room held a different story that you know, was probably just even crazier than the last mm-hmm. one. I'll never forget that first time watching House of Frankenstein going, this is insane. Yeah. This is yeah. like this is like yeah. four stories crammed into one, <laughs> and I'm loving each one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the House of Frankenstein, that moment in House of Frankenstein when mm-hmm. Karloff goes, I think they're after Dracula. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe they are. <laughs> maybe they're after Dracula. Maybe. Yeah. Let's, let's toss him out the back of this wife. Yeah, I know. And just, yeah, it's, it's, you, it's, you know, it's a testament to how great that, how much you love that film when uh, you don't even mind the fact that the monsters never fight, you know, is that the monsters don't yeah. fight in the film. That should make you mad as a kid, but the film is so much fun that it's not even an issue. <laughs> and that's the thing with, the same thing with this film. Yeah. It's, uh, you got the, the crooked necked hunchback. Mm-hmm. You got the monster. Mm-hmm. You got the doc, the new Doctor Frankenstein. You got another mad scientist. Yeah. and it's like mm-hmm. this is this is a batshit crazy story. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's there there's there's so much joy to be had with this that like mm-hmm. I say I uh, I understand people wanting to walk away from the series because the the budgets go down and they become B movies. It just draws me closer to it, man. It makes me love it that much more. It's like realizing that uh, that the the puppy doesn't know that when it drinks the water out of the bowl, its ears are getting wet. Yeah, it just wonders why the ears are wet. I, I, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's there. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the first things that hit me watching this film from the very beginning, well, the first thing that hit me is, oh, it's the same woods from The Wolfman, <laughs> the same forest, that great, <laughs> and the fog. I'm in happy, yeah, I mean, I'm happy yeah. Troy, uh, Troy land here with the, uh, with the fog, and the, and the, but it's the same forest from The Wolfman. Uh, but that, but just the Hans Salter's music, man. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it doesn't it's get, it doesn't get said enough, but uh, he was, we talk about these things that get us in that yep. universal mo- mood, you know, that we're just suddenly, we're dialed totally in, and it's, not just the visuals, but uh, so often it's just those amazing scores that he wrote. Yeah, and, and that's another thing about setting the mood for these movies mm-hmm. is that the tone that the the, the scores, the music, often mm-hmm. was able to set. Sometimes it, it it drives the action. Sometimes it gets it's you know, those those heavy strings where the tempo is increasing and increasing mm-hmm. as it's mm-hmm. ramping things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. I think this is a fantastic score. This is uh, this is actually strangely enough, uh, Ghost of Frankenstein. I think is one of the first scores I ever bought from a Universal uh, Hammer uh, Universal film. It's one of the first films I ever. One of the first Universal films I bought the score of on a CD. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I still got the CD. It's, oh, a, cool. it's it was paired with another score, but it's the ghost music. It's the Ghost of Frankenstein yeah. music that I remember the most. Yeah. Uh, that and the uh, the re-recording of the original uh, King Kong score are, are two CDs that I just wore out for like yeah. a couple of years. Well, what this music does, uh, you know, to be here where we're hitting the 40s and they are starting to scale back the budgets and 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 scale back the running time and and the ambition, scale back the ambitions that way. These these scores like this help to keep it elevated to something that feels more important. It's the same way that Akira Fukube's music for the Godzilla films, the Toho Godzilla yeah, films, yeah. and the Toho classic films, the way that those scores just gave it a gravitas, you know, that uh, that it might not have otherwise had. And I think you used the right word there, to elevate. Yeah. Because yeah. I think that the scores, 
it's almost as if the scorers don't know that the budget is small. Yes, a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. it really yeah. does feel yeah. that way. Yeah, the composers brought still their best, their A game to the B movie. So yeah. Well, uh, I told I told you earlier that I wanted to to, to bring up a few little lines yeah. here and there from the original shooting script. Shooting script. Mm-hmm. There are little bits and pieces that get altered as they went along, but I just I do I wanted to read this out loud just because I think this is hilarious. Uh, and beca- and it, the way it's in the script is even is even kind of strange. It's uh, when, it's near the end of the film when the uh, the village people, no, <laughs> sorry, when the villagers that conjures the wrong idea. Hey, it sure does. Yeah. When the villagers are getting themselves all worked up mm-hmm. because they don't know where the monster is and nobody's found him yet and they don't know where the little girl is, uh, they're getting themselves all all uh, all wound up. <laughs> the, the the script says there is a confused milling around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then ad lib cries from the crowd. And these ad libs are typed out for them to say. Death to Frankenstein. <laughs> we'll string him up like a horse thief. <laughs> Let's burn down the place. <laughs> Kill the lot of them. <laughs> now, all of those are perfect. Yeah. And to my mind, the fact that there has never been a film called Death to Frankenstein yeah, is weird. Yeah, that is weird. The minute I read that, that's I was like, that, oh, what that's a, title. a movie title, Death to right Frankenstein. There. But We'll string him up like a horse thief once again. When is this taking place? Nineteen forty-two. Are we sure it's nineteen forty-two? Right. Yeah. It's like a horse thief. Wow. Right. So, uh, <laughs> the the that that Universal Land mm. where from 18, 1885 to nineteen forty-five is mm. all one year. <laughs> and it's fine. I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> On the one to ten scale, what do you end up giving Ghost of Frankenstein? I gave it a very solid seven. Yeah, that's what I end up giving it yeah, to you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. I think it was considering this new direction Universal was going in. It was a good one to kick off with. You know, it's it's always fun. You know, never get tired of watching it. Um, really enjoyed watching for this because it had been quite a while. I mean, again, I've, I've 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 seen it a lot, but it was not just so. It wasn't like something like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in my head, where it's just or Son of Frankenstein, where it's just scene by scene. I can almost recite it. You I, know, I've watched it, this. You know, I watched this just last October. I, mean, yeah. I think I, <laughs> yeah. I watch it almost every year. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's yeah, it's it's. Uh, I really do enjoy it. Um, uh, I love the. Uh, you know, I talked earlier about the 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 focus being on the brain of the monster, and, and one of the yeah. things I love about this story. Is that you almost got this? Um, it's not like a love triangle. It's like a love quadrangle for Frank for, for his brain and all these people who bring what they want from this final decision of whose brain goes into it. And starting with Igor, you know, Igor loves the idea of certainly being in a powerful body, but I think even more he's figuring it's a way to keep his friend. You know, because what's Igor? Yeah. Through both films, his main terror is losing his friend. That everybody's going, somebody's going to take his friend away from him and he's going to be lonely again. So this is his way of no one can take my friend from me if I'm living in his head. You know, that's, that's his thing. Dr. Frankenstein's is obviously redeeming the family name, you know, yeah. Bomar's is redeeming his ego, you know, redeeming his own past. You know, and, and trying to resurrect his career. Yeah. yeah. And then the monster. Now the whole thing about him wanting the, the little girl's brain is a fascinating thing because is he, is he see it in the way that Igor sees him is like, does he see it as a way of making their friendship, bonding their friendship, or is he wanting to be a child again? Is he wanting, does he envy the life of a child? That's a, yeah, that's a fantastic question. So yeah. I love that there's those four different angles that the four different desires approaching this idea. That desire of innocence, that desire of innocence, why he's repeatedly drawn to children, yeah. 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 And, and the other thing I want to say about, you know, the people who not change his performance, yeah, he's not, it's, it's not real expressive, um, but 
and yeah, he's you know I don't think, but I don't think it's it's I don't think it's fair to compare him his performance to Karloff because I got news for you, no one was ever better than Karloff. You know, it's like and there's yeah. been some amazing actors that have played the Frankenstein monster. And nobody ever equaled Karloff. So I don't think that's a fair knock against Lon Chaney because you can say that about every performance of the monster. And there's been some great ones, like I said, that yeah. have come. But nobody's Karloff, you know. And and I think also that particular makeup style worked better on Karloff because Karloff had such a thin face that you put you could put a square top on that head, you know, and that bone structure still complemented it. When you put it on a round, somebody with a rounder face, you know, you put a square top on a rounder face there, and, and uh, there's just no way it's going to bring off. Not that the, I'm not knocking saying the makeup's bad. I'm just saying, even look-wise, he well, wasn't Tom, going to Tom Weaver one. has plenty of bad yeah. things to say about the makeup. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just... But again, I think that makeup was perfectly suited for Karloff's features. I think Glenn Strange wore it a little better than Chaney did. Oh, as I, would, as, I would agree with that, yeah. But still, nobody was Karloff. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, yeah, I, 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 you, when you read things about the script, too, and I don't know if this is in the shooting script you've got there, but I know things I've read about the script said that there was some really nice kind of scenes between the little girl and the monster, you know, where There's she's more talking dialogue, more to them. Yeah. And that the monster is, the way in the script you can tell the way it's written is the monster's reacting more in the way that Karloff would have, you know, where he's, you know, more like the innocent child kind of thing, rather than this sullen kind of inexpressive creature that, that Chaney you can't, that you, doing. Yeah, that yeah. you can't, you can't read the expressions on yeah. his face until he becomes Igor. Yeah. yeah. So what do you feel about Chaney's uh, performance? I mean, what does it, I mean, obviously, obviously you'd enjoy the film. It doesn't bother yeah. you, but. No, no, no. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me because it's very much a continuation. What, what uh, Lon Chaney's doing until Igor's brain is in the mm. body. Mm. What he's doing is a continuation of the very quiet, less expressive monster mm. Mm. that the creature became in Son of Frankenstein. I think if you want to, you could say that this creature by this point is just seething. You know, he's just, he's very angry and sullen and surly. Yeah. And you can just see it in the way that he doesn't obey Igor, even let, he disobeys him even more than in the previous film. Igor's losing control of them. I think that he's more of just an angrier monster by all he's been through now. Well, he's, he's by the third film in, in Bride, he's, he's, he learns to speak. He's able mm. to actually to actually address other people and convey what is inside his head. And then by the beginning of the the third mm. film, by the beginning of Sun, he's lost that ability again. And so he's just this mute mm. thing mm. who does understand what's yeah. happening around him, yeah. but seems to no longer be able to communicate verbally. Yeah. <clears throat> and that is and what we have here is a continuation of that, which is played pretty smartly once again once they have Igor's brain in there and then he can talk. Yeah, in a lot of ways the monster's almost kind of like, and sometimes there's some points in the film where he almost seems like he's kind of resigned to his fate till something pulls him, something yeah. gets his eye. Because, you know, when he's just sitting, when they've captured him and they've got him, you know, he could obviously break loose at any time when he's sitting in that courtroom. Yeah. But it almost seems like he's disconnected until two things. He's when just he ignoring sees, When he everybody. sees the girl, you know, that gets his interest, you know. Yeah. Because he, he focuses on her. And then when they start to pull her away, he becomes more disturbed, you know. But when he recognizes that there's a Frankenstein in the room, and when he Frankenstein rejects him, yeah, that's when he so something has to pull him out of. Otherwise, it's almost like he's kind of with so withdrawn that he's kind of shut down until something just pulls him out of it, you know, and makes him mad enough to do something. Um, I think I, I do love the film. It's about a. It's yeah. I would give it a seven, such as mm. same as you did earlier. Mm. I find it eminently rewatchable if you mm. hadn't already figured that part out, mm. but. I do think that it's it's one of the more interesting ones to talk about. I think all the ones in the 40s are very interesting to talk about because yeah. of the things that you can see within them and the uh, 
the darker things that are only hinted at and not teased mm. out because mm. of the difference in tone. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting here, and I agree with this. I, I think I, that out of the Universal Monsters book, mm. uh, they, this is, uh, I'll just read this straight out. It says, having the monster harbor Igor's brain could have been a witty and novel way of wrapping up the entire series. But as Universal expected to get a lot more mileage out of their popular horror character, the ending only served to confuse the monster's identity in future sequels. It seemed to confuse the scriptwriters, too, since there is no mention of Igor's brain for the rest of the series, except for the deleted scenes from Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Right. Yeah. And that, uh, that is a, a frustration, and I think that is mm-hmm. when, that's when I start to be a little... I will have a lot to say about things like that when we cover Frankenstein yeah, Meets the Wolfman because right. as much as I love that movie... Yeah, there were things that were planned for it that kind there of... There were things that were filmed for, for it. That didn't end up... Yeah. That would have been very interesting, yeah. And that would have better continued the threads that they begin yeah, here. because you can look at it and think like, you know, it's, it's essentially... This is Igor's brain continues to survive if you want to view them as all one thread. Right, you know, you right. can think that it's actually the original brain, original Frankenstein monster is kind of dead now and going forward... Igor's brain is, is surviving, but you're right. They didn't really kind of capitalize that on the way that they could have. But yeah, we'll get into that uh, when we hit that film. And I would uh, also read this out from the book as something else I agree with. Uh, Lionel Atwell can't help but upstage his colleagues at every opportunity, <laughs> packing his performance with plenty of dramatic flourishes. Mm-hmm. Note his squirming, uncomfortable reaction as Frankenstein triumphantly announces mm-hmm. to Ernst mm-hmm. that he has replaced the monster's brain with Kettering's. In other words, don't focus on the two actors right. who are the main focus. Look behind them to, to Atwell's character. Yeah. Later, as Igor revels... Uh, in uh, his new body it is neither the monster's ravings or Frankenstein's horrified reaction that commands attention but at will deep in the background indulging in his trademark mad doctor expressions this is just another he's the best at doing that he's the best mm. and if this film offered mm. nothing mm. other than another, another mad scientist performance mm. from Lionel Atwill I'd still rewatch it yeah. just for yeah. that I'm glad we'll get to see him a lot more in the future films uh, I, once again, I always love reading some uh, reviews, some contemporary reviews mm-hmm. from when the film came out in '42. From The Hollywood Reporter, March the 2nd, 1942, inventively stands on an imaginative par with all of its interest-gripping quasi-scientific predecessors. Earl C. Kenton's direction makes magnificent use of every element of suspense. The cast is definitely above average. Mm. From the New York Daily News, April 4th, 1942. Um, Actually signed, uh, this is written by uh, the critic Wanda Hale. Mm. One and a half stars. Mm. The new monster picture is horrid, not horrendous, and horribly boring, even though a lot of good players do the best they can with the dreadful material. Well, now. There you go. Yeah. The Motion Picture Herald, March 7th, 1942. The current installment in the continued adventures of the Frankenstein monster maintains a standard of performance, effectiveness, and quality exceeding the average for horror films by a considerable margin. Hmm. And one last one. The New York Times, April 4th, 1942. Signed by Bosley Crowther. Yeah, that's a great name. I know. That's Bosley a, that's Crowther. A, that, that, is a, that, is a, that is a 30s or 40s name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once you get to the 50s, I think they outlawed that they, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Not many Bosleys pop up these days. <laughs> Not really. I think I, I know of one. Yeah. He was an actor. Right. Yeah. Oh, poor guy. The replenished monster is being consumed by fire when we see him last, but the thought that he may return fills us with mortal terror. Mm. That is the most fearful prospect which the picture manages to convey. 
Now, is that a compliment or an insult? I mean, that's how you can read that either way. I think uh, Bosley may have Bosley, been aiming for an insult. I was about to say, some Bosley Crowther just doesn't sound like someone who would enjoy a Frankenstein film. Probably not. He would I think see he might enjoy it. a cookbook or something. Well, him. I think he would he'd think of it was beneath him and mm-hmm. that it interfered with his martini drinking. Yeah. So... <laughs> so that's Ghost of Frankenstein. Uh, friends, neighbors, countrymen, mm-hmm. what do you think of Ghost of Frankenstein? Yeah, let us know. Write us. Write us and send us messages and let us know what you think. <laughs> what is your favorite Frankenstein film? Now that we've cracked open the door mm-hmm. on the Universal Frankenstein movies, mm-hmm. which one is your favorite? I'll, I've already said mine. my mm-hmm. favorite is Son of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Same here. I, which one is yours, folks? Let us know. Uh, I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and then we'll let you know what we're going to be covering uh, over the next couple of months, mm-hmm. both here and uh, in different places around the web. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic, and sometimes not-so-classic, Monster Movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. folks thank you very much for coming along to the bloody pit this time around and letting us uh, talk to you about the ghost of frankenstein here at the high holy church Mm -hmm. of the 1940s universal Mm -hmm. horror films yes we love this movie and we hope you do Mm -hmm. as well next time we sit down to talk about one of these universal films from the 1940s we'll be talking about a movie that i'm pretty sure neither troy or i have seen Uh, i don't believe so from uh, it was released on April the third, nineteen forty-two, and it is called "The Mystery of the Mary Roger." Yeah, uh, I have definitely never seen this movie. Uh, it was re-released uh, years later under the title "The Phantom of Paris." Uh, you may maybe someone may have seen it there. It's uh, supposedly based on the Edgar Allan Poe story of the same title, and uh, has Patrick Knowles, Maria Ospenskaya, Charles Middleton has a has a small <coughs> role. Uh, Basically, it's going to be fresh, fresh film yeah. for us. Yeah, and uh, it is available out there. There, uh, Universal put it out on a uh, a DVD a few years back. It's uh, it's available out there. It's a little pricey for my taste, but you know, 
It is available. It's easy. It, it, it is something you get your hands on to see. It's one of those odd outliers uh, that we've run across yeah. in this run through these 1940s movies a few times where it's not a monster movie, so yeah. it doesn't get grouped in with the universal horror stuff when it gets put out, you know, put yeah. together in sets and released in that way. <laughs> but obviously there's uh, enough of an interest out there that it has yeah. been released on DVD in just the past few years. So... Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see this. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And it's only an hour long. Yeah, hey, well, still be daylight outside. Anyway. Still be it's daylight over. outside. Run out and play. We can go out and, and play pretend monsters. Pretend play. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what we'll be doing that's the next cool, yeah. time Troy and I sit down to uh, uh, to do an episode of The Bloody Pit. Over on the Nashy cast, the next time that you will hear from us, we're going to be, we're just going to tease it a little right now, mm. but we're going to be doing another interview. And the mm. the uh, it's, it's another fresh voice on the show, someone we've not had on the Nashy cast or either on the bloody pit to be yeah, honest right uh and this is that's gonna be fun that's uh, i'm just gonna let that float out there the real interesting part of this is that i have decided to kick open the door and to allow uh troy in to be a part of the interview this time yes i had to beg and, and cajole and blackmail and you know everything else but uh, he pulled an knife on me people yeah <laughs> it was terrible but yes i will finally get to sit in on one of these conversations here <laughs> so that's that's the next episode of the Nashy yeah. cast we have another few things in the uh in the fire several irons in the fire things that we can't talk about right now for various reasons mm-hmm. uh, but just keep your ears peeled to uh well the same bat time same bat yeah. channel I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. And we will uh, we will be coming back at you with some really interesting news as soon as we are allowed. Mm-hmm. I think as you're soon going as we to won't be, be happy. As soon as we won't be thrown into some <laughs> dungeon somewhere and never heard from again if we, if we say it too soon. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So uh, keep your ears peeled. We'll let you know as soon as we're able. Mm-hmm. And uh, once again, we're just glad that you're here listening to us. Thank you once again. Uh, you can remember, uh, hopefully you can remember, if I can remember, how to say this properly, which would be... <laughs> You can talk to us over on the uh, the shows, both shows, Facebook pages, or you can write to us at thebloodypit at gmail.com, and we'll be glad to hear from you. Yes, indeed. So I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will talk to you again very soon. Mm-hmm.